This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I wish you guys could see what I'm looking at right now. I am standing on the balcony of our little apartment here that we're renting in Brisbane, Australia. I'm overlooking this beautiful bridge. There's boats going through. It's just a beautiful day. There's palm trees blowing in the wind. I love Australia so much. Um, I'm having a blast over here on my tour, um, doing my solo thing, River Oaks, opening for Hawthorne Heights. Some great dudes on this tour. Shout out to tour manager Jason, just he's killing it. Shout out to our driver DJ, killing these drives. Really just having a blast. Thanks to Hawthorne for having me. And man, I love Australia like so much. Big shout out to all the sinners that have come up to me at these shows, been like, hey, I'm in the group, I'm in the uh, All Access Club. That's amazing. And all the other people, too, they're just like, hey, I love your podcast. I listen to it week after week. I love all you guys so much. Hey, we got a great episode this week. I talked to Mr. James Hart of 18 Visions. What a, what a cool guy. I mean, this guy, <laughs> a little background. So I remember when I first heard 18 Visions, it was Until the Ink Runs Out. Uh, classic, classic hardcore record. Still, I still throw it on from time to time. It's a great record. And I remember I went to see them. And uh, this was right when the record Vanity was coming out. And somebody was talking about, oh, how they're like fashion core. And I'm like, fashion core? What's fashion core? But that's what they were, man. They were a very image-driven band. You look at James Hart. He just looked fucking cool. I mean, they all did. You know, they're wearing like Versace shirts and they're, they're wearing all this stuff that like... You have to understand, in hardcore back then, people were wearing baggy pants and maybe like a tight t-shirt that says, you know, a band name on it and then frosted tips and, and, and beaded, you know, uh, uh, necklaces and stuff like that. And these guys like straight up looked like models and it was a very cool thing. They looked like rock stars and I was actually very intimidated uh, by the 18 Vision guys. Um, you know, they weren't that much older than me really, but I always felt like when I was around them, I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm like cool enough for these guys but James is such a down-to-earth guy such a sweetheart and I am so stoked I could have him on the show this week so sit back relax we're gonna get into that in just a minute but first I'm gonna tell you about a couple ways you can help out my show if you so desire the first one is super 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 easy we got back to school coming up right now we got all these sales that are happening I mean some people are already buying Christmas presents which is blows my fucking mind but people are already thinking about Christmas and the best place to get anything you need as you guys already know is Amazon Amazon is the shit they have everything and they usually have pretty much the best price so how does that help me out well here's the thing if you use my little affiliate link 
you actually help me out by throwing me four to six percent of your purchase and it costs you absolutely nothing. So all you do is you go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon, fire that link right in your web browser, it'll take you right to Amazon, log in as normal, and anything you buy, it gets to show four to six percent. It costs you absolutely nothing. I don't know why Amazon does it. It's some, you know, I guess I guess I'm promoting Amazon right now, even though everyone already knows about it. It's awesome and it really does help me out. So please check out leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. Another thing I know I harp on this week after week, and I talked about it a little bit at the beginning here, but the All Access Club is awesome. We're having so much fun. And for as little as $6 a month, which is like, come on, that's like one really nice cup of coffee every month. Come on. You can afford this, I think. If you can't, it's okay. This show will always be free, and I really appreciate you listening. But if you want more stuff, if you want bonus content, if you want interaction with other members, we run contests, we do all this fun stuff, please check it out. That's all I ask. That link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. All right. Well, hey, let's jump in to another great episode of this podcast. Here's my conversation with James Hart of 18 Visions. Hey James, how's it going, man? Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm I'm so well. I'm so well, man. Uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, she's stoked. I mean, I'm stoked. I'm stoked. 18 Visions is back. <laughs> me too. Well, you better be. Yeah, it's been. I mean, it's been. Uh, it's been tossed around for a while. Yeah, no, it's it's uh it's awesome. I'm not so stoked that the Cubs beat up on my Blue Jays this weekend. Oh yeah, they did the three game sweep. Was that, that was not good. They, they did sweep them. Okay, they needed that. The Cubs needed that, and it was a walk off. The Blue Jays it. needed uh, at least one out of three games winning. But hey, man, it's uh, but that's I, I wanted to start there because I know you're a Chicago sports fan, and you got some ties to Chicago. How did that come about? Because I mean, everybody knows 18 Visions as like this Orange County, you know, thing. Yeah, so I moved out to California when I was uh, like six. Um, oh, yeah. I was born out in the, the west suburbs of Chicago. My dad's from there. And when we moved out here, he was, you know, a huge Cubs fan, right? Yeah. And baseball was like the first sport I really got into. I was playing at a young age, and I could kind of grasp the concept of it. Right, um, right. Football was slower. It was a harder watch for me growing up. Um, the harder to, like, figure out what the hell's going on with all these penalties and the stop and go <laughs> it's true of every play um but you know as i got older uh, i took the bears on and then growing up you know uh middle school the chicago bulls were huge um so you know that's uh, obviously gravitated towards that as well cool. so that's uh, yeah i kind of grew up on on my dad's teams and uh, just kind of stuck with it yeah it's funny i just remembered right now I watched the World Series Game 7. Uh, I was actually in Pomona, California. We were playing at the Glass House. And, oh, cool. uh, yeah, so I was, I was there watching, and I'm sure you were, you were watching from somewhere in California as well. Yeah, my house, actually, that, that freaking must have out. Been, yeah, um, right? That was the craziest yeah, the most game, game ever. I know. Yeah. Totally wild. I actually wild. Went, to, went to Game 5 of the World Series. Oh, shit. Nice. Which was, uh, yeah, was insane. Um yeah, it was a crazy, crazy vibe. I just kind of planned on flying out there because I'm usually not an optimist with my teams, but I had a feeling the Cubs were going to take it in five. So yeah. I kind of wanted to be—I wanted to be out there while everything was kind of happening and just be around the atmosphere and experience that. And of course, you know, I'm getting on my flight, and right before I got on my flight, they lost Game Three, and then of course I'm out there watching with my dad and. Uh, my buddy Mark, who came out with me, and they lose game four, and we're taking the train into the city um, just to kind of hang out the following day, and, and he's looking up tickets, and, you know, they dropped considerably, so we right. passed on a couple of them. It's just like, you kind of have to, you know? You got to do it. I get it, especially especially that team, like, all in all those years of 
just struggle, you know, to see to see them do it. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, you know, I'm, I grew up in Canada, um, but we always had WGN was, like, free, like, free TV. So when right. I was home during the day, because, you know, all the Cubs games were, were day games, I would watch the Cubs all the time, you know, Harry Carey and all that. So so I, I always had a soft spot for them myself. Yeah, I, you know? I run into a lot of people that are not from Southern California or just out and about yeah. in these weird markets. And they're like, oh, I'm a huge Cubs fan. I was like, oh, how'd you get into the Cubs? Oh, WGN. Or <laughs> so it was weird. like, how did you get, how'd you, or who's your team? Oh, I'm, I'm a Braves fan living in like Wyoming. You because know? of like, TBS. Oh, TBS. TBS. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. No, that's 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 very very true, and the and I mean the Braves were so good, you know, in the early nineties. Oh, totally. Um, that's wild, man. No, it's um, I know you're a sports guy, and I'm a sports guy too. And it's funny because a lot of people listening to this are probably like, "Well, I didn't fucking listen to this podcast to hear James Hart of Eighteen Visions talk about baseball." Uh, right. You know, so I, I want to start with that. I mean, like it's it's funny, you know, you you know, a lot of times. You hear about, especially older, you know, guys in punk rock, like, talk about, oh, I went to school, and the fucking jocks kicked my ass, you know, the, got called a f*** every day, like, this kind of stuff. Um, and for me, I mean, I played sports in high school, and so did you. And we're yeah. the same and guys so, that were going to hardcore shows. And so I got that, I got that, like, backlash, or, like, those type of negative comments from the the kind of like richer more like bougie kids that didn't play sports or right you know that they're just kind of like these these rich kids that would party um and because i was different you know of course i got you know i got fucked with a lot growing up um by those kids and then of course some of those kids were on some of my teams and so like they were kind of like the mediators between like me and my friends and and these fucking dickhead kids that you know, we're always, you know, just trying to be like cool guys. Yeah. So, so how did you, I mean, I understand, you know, you're, you're a kid and your dad's a big sports fan. You get into sports, baseball, football. Um, when did in your life, did you start getting into music? So I, um, I grew up like on a ton of stuff. My mom and dad had like a 10 year age gap. So I was exposed to, um, you know, like classic rock, the Beatles, uh, Zeppelin, um, the Doors, the Stones, stuff like that. That was always on in the background. And then when, you know, my dad, my dad moved back to, uh, Chicago, um, you know, my mom was always kind of current on music. So in the eighties, it was like Depeche Mode and Duran Duran and, um, the stuff that was on the radio, we had a, uh, like a metal rock station. So like Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue. And, you know, then it was like Megadeth and Metallica. And then I always gravitated towards the grittier stuff. Um, I think like Minor Threat and like the Gorilla Biscuits were probably my first two um, experiences with like hardcore. Yeah. And, and I thought that they were just punk bands. I didn't know what Straight Edge was at the time. Um, right. they, they just kind of fit into the genre of all these other bands I was listening to on, on, on that side of, um, you know, the, the punk field. Um, they weren't like the Metallica, they weren't like the Megadeth. They were like aggressive and like raw and grittier in a different way. They gave me a different feeling. And when I, when I finally did kind of stumble upon Straight Edge and this like scene, it, I felt like some of the music that I was listening to was, or some of the bands that I had found were kind of like this, this like merge of these metal bands that I listened to and these like punk bands that I listened to. It had like the aggression of both just blended together. And so I started to, you know, get into, get into like a lot heavier stuff. And then I started to get into heavier metal, like Sepultura mm -hmm. and Pantera, um, you know, stuff that was less melodic, even though I was always drawn to, you know, the bad religions and the early like green day stuff and, sure. um, no effects, shit like that. I always thought was super, super cool as well. Um, and then a, a couple of my buddies in high school were starting this like band and, one of them was uh, Ken Floyd. Uh, yeah, who, I know Ken. Yep, who uh, you know played in Eighteen Visions up until you know this this uh, this new go about for us, and Dave Peters, who ended up playing guitar and then singing for Throwdown. Right, and they had this like they had this like metal band that they wanted to start, and it wasn't even really hardcore at all. It was just like a Pantera, Sepultura ripoff band. Mm -hmm. yeah. To be honest with you, <laughs> and, I mean we were like 15, 16 years old. And then I got kicked out for uh, for this dude 
um, that ended up singing for this band Eyelid from the the Ventura area. And when he joined Eyelid, they didn't have a singer, so they asked me to do it again. And that kind of spawned into 18 Visions. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, I always looked at, at 18 Visions and, and, you know, throw down. It was like you guys were just like, you know, it was like you couldn't talk about one without talking about the other at one point. You know, you're constantly right. doing yeah. tours, sharing band members and everything. But I looked at that scene, you know, and you guys being from California, uh, very different because there wasn't as many bands like like heavier, you know, metallic, hardcore bands from California. It was like that was more of like an East Coast thing or upstate New York was a big scene for that. And the bands from California, you thought of like you thought of punk bands, like you bring you bring up No Effects and Bad Religion, like that was more the California sound. Yeah, and I think um, you know we didn't have a huge, huge scene in Orange County growing up with with bands. I mean, I remember Stripe. Um, I mean, Stripe was a big band from, from California. Yeah, Stripe. Yep, and so they were from like the LA area, but they were they were like a more traditional hardcore band. Um, right, and then. There was uh, there's there's two bands growing up that I was way into. Uh, one of them was from Orange County called Mean Season, and they were like more of a metal hardcore band with with I guess like melodic like shouted vocals that uh-huh. you know w- were super cool at the time. But listening back like 25 years, 30 years, like weren't that great really. <laughs> well, <laughs> that know? always happens. <laughs> um, but you know they have it has this, like a soft spot for me. Um, musically, it was it was great. It was you know slayer-esque like metallica maiden-esque and it was super cool and then really one of the bands that kind of like inspired 18 visions was this band unbroken from san diego sure and they kind of had this like raw um gritty uh punk meets like metal sound and and they were super super cool and then we you know we were influenced by a ton of bands sepultura slayer um a lot of bands coming from like the East Coast, like Overcast, um, yeah, Converge, yeah. Or, or early early stuff like that. That you know, n- not a lot of people were 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 super into, and you know, we were able to st- stumble upon some of these these bands and some of these albums and demos um, at an early age. So we just kind of tried to do something different, uh, something that wasn't really around, and you know, we we started putting out demos and um you know put out i think that our first ep was in like 96 or 97 on live yeah. sentence records yep and yeah just kind of uh you know all these other bands started coming out that were you know a little bit more metal a little heavier a little less traditional in the hardcore sense and it kind of spawned this whole this whole scene no absolutely i mean it was a it was a cool time to be alive you know back then when when you know, you, you, you'd kind of pass around seven inches, you know, people were burning CDs for each other. I mean, that was kind of how, you know, music was spread around. And I always love to talk about how regional things were back then. You know what I mean? There were all the Boston bands that were kind of influencing each other. There were all the New York bands, um, you know, and, and then there was the California scene. And I remember there was one show um, that my, my friend, Eric Hoyback, I don't know if you remember him, but... He used yeah. to put on shows in Oakville, Ontario. That's where I grew up, at this place called the Pine Room. And I'll never forget, like we were so excited when when Eighteen Visions and Throwdown was going to come because we, like California, might as might as well have been another planet. Like it was so far away. Like we never got bands from out there. You know what I mean? It was just it's, it's like funny to think about now. Um, but I think the guys ended up canceling the show, but <laughs> it didn't happen. But. I I don't remember why or what happened. Maybe there was, was it was it a winter show? Because if it was, I think there was a couple of tours we had to cancel early on. Where yeah. you know we just ran into like band trouble. Um, and at the time, you know, you're not getting paid a ton of money. Basically, no. basically gas money to get from show to show. So you don't have extra money in your pocket to um, you know get stuff fixed right away. So right. It, you know we we ran into those problems early on. But you know. We kind of dealt with the same thing. Being from Southern California, we're secluded from a lot. Um, you know, East Coast. You know, it's uh, a four or five hour commute sometimes to a show, which isn't bad. Here, you know, you got to drive. You know, outside of Southern California, if you want to go up to San Francisco, you got to go seven, seven, eight yeah. hours. Yeah. You know, Phoenix is five, six hours. Um, so there's there's not there's not a ton. We try to integrate like NorCal bands and Arizona bands 
with our scene a little bit, but you know, we didn't get a ton of bands touring, not until I would say like the early two thousands did yeah. we start getting some like really cool tour packages. Otherwise it was like the victory bands were able to come out and tour because they had the most, you know, distribution and yeah, you know, a- a- awareness. No, absolutely. Well, I mean, Trustkill, you get into talking about labels, and Trustkill was, was kind of that label for a while, you know? They were trying to be the next victory or whatever. Um, ultimately, I mean, that label it doesn't exist anymore, um, but you guys were kind of like the flagship band, or one of them on Trustkill Records. Was that, was that a, a good thing for you guys? Do you find that that label took you places, or did you, did you feel like they held you back? No, they absolutely took us places and places we never imagined. I mean, a major label, you know, Yeah. which, you know, we never would have dreamed of years down the road. Um, but Josh gave us like our first real opportunity. Uh, the life sentence thing was cool. Um, you know, we put out that first EP and, you know, we were young and just excited to get something out and we were huge fans of excessive force. And, you know, I think he put out a torn apart album, um, before us and, and we liked some of the music you know that, that he was putting out and you know it was the right move for us at the time and then a, a buddy of ours put out a, a couple of, of albums locally and so we did our um yesterday's time killed album through him and i think he only pressed like two thousand copies of the cd it's like almost impossible to find yeah um so we uh, we started sending that out, and we sent it to Victory. We sent it to Ferret. We sent it to um, we sent it to uh, Hydrahead. A bunch of labels, and right. the only one that was interested in putting it out was Josh. And so he, uh, you know, he he called me up one day and, and offered us basically like a seven inch deal. He's like, "Hey, let's put out a seven inch, and then." You know, if, if, um, you know, if I dig it, we'll put out like a full length, you know, uh, a few months later or a year later. Right. So I was like, all right, cool. So we ended up putting out uh, a seven inch, no time for love. Uh, he paid for us to fly out to the first, the first Hellfest. Yeah. Um, I, th- it was either the first one or the second one ever. Yeah. And, um, it was at the lost horizon. It was like in front of, you know, six or 700 people in super crammed room. Yeah. Uh, and then the following summer we put out, uh, until the ink runs out and, you know, uh, we, we started gaining some, some hype and I felt like too, yeah. the fact that he had some other cool bands like poison the well on the label, um, that put out at the time, like a really groundbreaking, yeah. um, you know, record for the, for the music industry or for the music scene. Sure. Opposite uh, December was huge. I mean, until, yeah, the ink runs that, out, like, until the ink runs out was huge too. I mean, huge record i mean classic yeah so i thought that like the fact that he was able to like put some of these things out and back then like cd samplers were cool sure you know and and that's kind of how you got stuff out we were packaged up with these cool bands um walls of jericho i think was was coming out at the time right you know we we were getting exposure um so just it 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 enabled us to do things that we never really had imagined doing from, you know, some, uh, some, uh, some garage band that's like ripping off, you know, Sepultura and Pantera <laughs> to, you know, this like metalcore band that's going out and touring, you know, full time to getting, you know, a major label record deal. He did like much more good for us than bad. And I know everyone's had their experiences with them and, you know, I think we're in the midst right now of trying to get the masters back for, you know, all the trust kill stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, which I don't think we ever would have even thought about doing, um, you know, had we not gotten back together, but no, I think it's a good move. I, I was looking, uh, the other day I was trying to find some of your stuff, uh, you know, kind of preparing for this. And I don't think the, the, the vanity record is on, uh, Spotify. Yeah, I think everything's so, been pulled down. So I think no, until the, until the ink runs out, it's on there. But oh, it uh, is. yeah, I saw it. Okay. Well, at least I don't know. It's weird too because I'm in Canada, so maybe okay. it's different licensing or whatever for Canada than than in America. I'm not sure, but um, uh-huh. but that would be a great move for you guys. I think, especially moving forward. Um, you know, now that you, I guess you guys are back. Are you guys full time? What's what's going on? What what? Yeah, so it's like weird. We're full time, part time band. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we all we all have jobs. We have careers that we've built for ourselves over the last 
10 years um, and families as well. Yeah. He's got two small children. Um, you know, he's got like a salary like type career gig. I've got, um, you know, I've got a wife. I got a, a salon gig or I run my own business. So I have a lot more freedom than he does to leave. But I think we want to do one of the things we talked about when we, when we decided like, Hey, we're going to do this again was that we wanted things to be stress-free. We didn't want a lot of pressure. We didn't want to burden ourselves with the what ifs or, you know, is this going to be successful? It was just kind of like, Hey, like, let's just have fun. Yeah. And that's kind of what it started as we, me and Keith just started writing music. It wasn't even intended to be 18 visions. It just kind of snowballed into what it, what it's become. And we, you know, we didn't want to do this thing where, you know, a lot of these bands come back and they do this like reunion tour and, you know, some of the shows are going to be great. Some of them might not be great. Um, you know, we didn't want to deal with that and we didn't want to deal with like, you know, what if this thing flops or what if it tanks? Um, so it was just like all all about like, let's have fun and like, let's, let's like maximize like let's maximize what we can do with what little time we have. So I think for us right now, the best thing that's going to work is doing like four shows at a time, some weekend stuff, um, you know, flying out to a region and hitting a region and packaging up with some cool bands. Um, you know, four shows here, five shows there. Um, you know, we have a lot of stuff lined up that we haven't been able to announce yet that we're itching to because it's a lot of cool stuff. Um, but going over to the UK, we're only doing three shows. Yeah, I saw that. Yep. Um, you know, stuff we want to do that's, that makes sense. That's, you know, we don't have to worry about losing money doing it. Um, stuff that, you know, we're able to kind of get away from what we have at home, but not get away for so long to where things get out of hand at home. So, totally, totally makes sense. I think that's yeah. a really great approach uh, starting out. And then, and then you can kind of plan out, oh, well, this we enjoyed doing this. We didn't enjoy doing this as much. And then you can kind of figure out you know exactly where where 18 visions is going to go uh definitely better than than biting off more than you can chew right and uh, you know i'm sure if we wanted to go back out and be a full-time touring band uh, you know i have a feeling it would it would probably be fairly successful being able to get support tours yeah and package up with some cool bands and do you know big long runs but considering we can't do that i feel like this is like the best route to go and to keep things interesting for ourselves and our fans and to not you know not burn it out yeah keep it special so exactly no it's tough you guys um when you guys play shows now and you have like it's always weird you know you, you you're banned you're banned again you want to play some of this new stuff but obviously a lot of people that that are coming out want to hear the old stuff they want to hear the classics what do you play typically like in your set list do you play like stuff as as old as uh like until the ink runs out, do you still play that stuff, or is it more the like more of the later eighteen vision stuff? So what we try to do was, um, you know, we've only actually played one show, and it was okay. Um, okay, yeah, it was uh, it was our album release show um, at the Observatory in Orange County, and and we only had that one show set up because we weren't sure weren't sure how it was going to go, and so we didn't want to book all this other stuff and have our own like our home our comeback show in our own backyard flop and then we've got shows booked in other places and you know we're trying to sell tickets there and we can't even sell tickets at home so we you know we wanted to take like a slow approach and feel it out and see how it's going to go um that said you know we did have a new album drop that day and we did you know throw um two or three songs out publicly uh via like youtube and, and music videos so yeah we wanted to like, you know, we, as an artist, you know, you're always eager to play the new stuff because it's fun. It's fresh. Right. Sure. Um, but you know, for us, we wanted to kind of make it nostalgic. So we played, um, a lot of stuff off until the ink runs out. I think four songs, we played even, uh, a couple songs off of the, uh, the first full length we did yesterday is time killed. Yeah. Um, Played a couple songs off the best of, a couple songs off Vanity, a couple off Obsession, and a couple off the self-titled. Um, we kind of uh, all agreed that playing live, we want to keep it heavier and more aggressive. So even though some of the songs off of Obsession might have been a little bit bigger and a little bit more 
um, familiar with some of the fans and just people in general, we might not be playing those songs because for us, it's just not as fun to play live. So we also wanted to do that, you know, make sure that like we're sticking to our guns, sticking to, uh, no pun intended there for our guitar player, Josh, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, and just, you know, build a set around what people are going to like, but also like what we're going to like, you know, it's gotta be fun for us from start to finish. So, no, that sounds, um, that you know, sounds... we, we, yeah, you, you don't reform the band to like make everybody else happy. You do it because you want to do it. Exactly. Exactly. That's great. Um, one of the things about 18 visions, you know, I remember was the term fashion core, which I don't yeah. know. I don't know if, I don't know if you hear that now and you roll your eyes or if you smile, um, or, or what you think of that, but that whole thing. But I mean, there definitely was a conversation about, 18 visions and, and an image. And at the time, you know, in hardcore, a lot of bands really were the lack, there was a lack of image, you know, guys were wearing like baggy pants. And, and the only thing that maybe was like a thing was, you know, beaded necklaces and frosted tips. Um, right. you know what I mean? So you guys came in with a different approach. Um, where did that come from? And how do you think that affected your, your career? So, like, the whole fashion core term, like, that came from somebody in Long Island. We have no idea who actually started <laughs> it, and I would actually love to know who came up with that. But well, it was for like, some reason, From Arm to Ashes, too, was, like, lumped into that yeah, somehow, yeah, right? Yeah, totally, and, and I have a feeling it's probably one of their friends or one of their fans. And so we got kind of, like, lumped into this, like, genre of music based on how you look, not actually how you sound, which I found a bit comedic. Um so, like I said, like I, br- I bring up the Unbroken thing, like early on, like going back and seeing Unbroken in like 1995, 1996, this band looked cool. Like right. they had their hair slicked. Um, they kind of had this like, this cool, like current modern, like greaser look to them a little bit. And I, and I thought that they stood out and they stood out from every other band that was on stage. Obviously, you know, you've got, you know, <laughs> semi-overweight dudes wearing, you know, triple XL t-shirts and yep. like super baggy shorts and like new balance shoes. Um, and then you have dudes that just look like, you know, the guy that just bagged your groceries. Um, <laughs> and we felt like, Hey, like, let's like, let's like separate ourselves. Like let's stand out. Like when we go out on tour, like let's make a statement, like let's be memorable, you right. know, cause you don't know when you got on tour, how many bands are going to sound, you know, sound the same. Right. And me and Ken, before we started touring a lot, worked at banana Republic. Right. I heard this before. Yeah. (laughs) So, so for us getting some of this clothing, cause we got such a sick discount was actually cheaper for us than going out and like shopping at, you know, a different store. Yeah. So we kind of started doing that. And then, you know, me going through like, um, you know, uh, hair Academy with our old bass player, Javier, who was also, um, you know, going to school for that at the time. Like we were, you know, me and Javier, especially, um, Ken as well. Cause he, he, you know, he worked at the, at the, uh, um, the banana Republic or whatever. We were around and exposed to, um, fashion, you know, it was kind of like, yeah. You know, being in the hair industry, it's it's kind of like at the foreground of it. You know, um, the hair, uh, clo- like styling, clothing, everything kind of goes hand in hand, right? So I, I'm exposed to that and around that and trying to create a part of that um, for, you know, for my education and, and now my career. And so it's like you kind of you kind of gravitate to those things and you kind of say, okay, cool. Like this will work. Like let's, you know, let's have cool haircuts and let's color our hair like weird colors. And, you know, I had to wear all black at school. I wasn't allowed to wear whatever I wanted. If I wore denim or if I wore a white t-shirt, I got sent home, you know? Oh, really? So it was like, yeah. So it was like everybody was wearing all black and then, you know, my wardrobe consisted strictly of black. So it's just one of those things that it's kind of, you know, my, my lifestyle at home kind of shifted me into that. And then, you know, we saw that like, Hey, like this is cool. Like Javier's hair looks rad today. Or, you know, James, your hair looks cool. Or like, Hey, where'd you get those pants? Or, you know, Ken would come with like this super cool jacket and be like, Oh, cool. Like, um, I get a 50% discount. So we'd all go in there and, and get hooked up and just kind of took it out on the road right. with us. 
Well, there was a band from our hometown, uh, Grade, and I yes. thought that you know Kyle Bishop, the singer for Grade, was was kind of like that too. And he Absolutely. definitely separated himself. Um, you know, you saw him up there, like you know, it was like his his stage moves were like you know straight out of Iggy Pop or or, or you know. And another guy was was uh, another band was Refused too. You know, yep. they, they went up Absolutely. there and they had an, an image and they cared about what they looked like. You know, so I kind of I kind of thought that those two bands maybe were were bands that you maybe. Uh, you know, um, sort of looked up to in that way. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Refused for sure. Uh, I mean, what, like what hardcore kid growing up in the nineties isn't like enamored with refused. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, of course they're like an influence on, on styling as well. Um, and then grade, um, we were huge fans of them, but we weren't exposed to them until, kind of after the fact they hadn't really made their way out out west to you know southern california until i think after the fact of you know how we already looked and what we were doing in our lives at the time sure yeah but you know i always thought kyle was you know uh well groomed and well dressed and awesome (laughs) on stage yes yes he is he's still and he's a straight edge guy too yeah you know and Uh, in in the end too like if you make yourself look a certain way like back then i feel like your music had to uh, it it had to be kind of good you know like people people had to like you um musically as well otherwise i don't know that you'd be getting away with some of that shit hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline that's what i mean and that's kind of part of why i ask you this too is because I, I like i love your band until the ink runs out when i heard that record whenever it was it was a big game changer for me and um but i always felt like maybe people were always talking about your image and they weren't talking about your music like it almost made a distraction um you know what i mean because you guys were you know it's like it's like anything it's like um what's that fucking band that like terrible image metal band Mudvayne like, oh, yeah. like Mudvayne like I cannot look at that band but I gotta admit they have some pretty fucking sick riffs totally do you know 100%. what I mean like you start you yeah. get you sometimes the image can take away because you know what I mean everyone's just talking about that they're not saying oh what a great song they're like that guy's got cool pants you know right yeah I mean that's just the unfortunate side of it you know I feel like uh, when you start to get into these smaller scenes, um, that's just that's just the way it is. Nowadays, right. I feel like people people wouldn't really care. Um, no, you know, I I look at like I look at an adult band, right? That's that was around when until the ink runs out came out, and it's still going. That's like you know, uh, winding it down is a Dillinger Escape Plan. Yeah, and and those dudes look cool as fuck, right? Sure. Um, you know, I know Greg, I see Greg out and like, he's always wearing like super nice, super expensive, like top end shit. And like, you know, nobody cares at this point. Right. Um, and I I don't know if that's because, you know, they've got the longevity behind it or if people just stop caring or if, you know, the fan base kind of grew up with them. It's like, Oh, you know, um, I kind of get it like, or, you know, I like nice things too. Um, <laughs> but the scene's not so focused. I feel like, or isn't as focused on, you know, the way a band looks as opposed to the way they sound now. No, I, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. Yeah, I know. And, um, one thing I want to talk about too is straight edge. I mean, you're a straight edge lifer, uh, which is something that I feel like has sort of fallen away too. I mean, um, how did you get into that? Was that something you decided as kind of as a kid? Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I grew up around like drugs and alcohol abuse. Um, and it led to uh, a divorce in my family um, with my parents. Yeah. And uh, just something that was really off putting to me, uh, knowing that, you know, my home was broken because of substance abuse. Um, 
just uh, always always like kind of like gave me uh, a sick feel you know to my stomach and you know you start getting older and you know you get into high school and you, you, your friends start you know drinking or smoking or maybe even in middle school some of my friends were were doing that some of my friends were into metal you know were had older brothers that would give him beer or weed or cigarettes and yeah. you know i just i never really wanted to get into that and so when i did finally stumble upon like what straight edge was when i found out what straight edge was my uh, my freshman year, um, I felt like, hey, this is, you know, this is me. Like, like I said, I was already listening to Minor Threat, Gorilla Biscuits. <laughs> I heard the message. Yeah. I didn't really know what it was. Like, um, you know, and then now that I found out what Straight Edge is and I go back and listen to these bands and now it like makes sense. It all like, you know, it all made sense to me that like, hey, this is, hey, that's who I am. Like, I'm a part of this. I feel like I felt like I was a part of something like instantly as, as soon as I found out what it what it meant to be straight edge. And I know like just about everyone that's straight edge or was straight edge felt the same way I did, you know, at the same age. And, um, you know, obviously people go through changes, different life experiences, and you know they grow in and out of phases um you know i've definitely had my fair share of things that i've i've gone in and out of or been into and then not been into right but but this lifestyle like this um you know this thing's always been like super important to me and it's always like been a part of who i am um you know even before i really even knew what punk and metal was uh you know my mom sat me down i think i was like 10 or 11 years old and yeah kind of kind of you know dropped this bomb on me about like what was going to happen with our family and why and so i always had this like hatred and disgust towards it yeah so i you know maybe i'm different than people that have you know gone on to you know different life paths um you know that aren't straight edge anymore maybe they didn't have you know the same you know childhood impact that i did and you know i, I can't make excuses up for anybody or you know um, you know, hate on anybody for their decisions at all. Um, but you know, it's always been important to me from the time that, you know, I was young until here I am 38 years old and still important to me. So, yeah. Is it ever funny now? Like when you're an adult and like, let's say you go to like a dinner party with your wife and you don't know the people and you're like, Oh yeah, I don't drink. And they just assume that you had some kind of problem. Oh, always. It's, <laughs> I was talking to Ray Harkins about that. I think it's a funny, yeah. uh, I think a funny thing that happens. It's like, no, no, I just don't drink, and it's like they'll like glaze over people's eyes. Like people don't get it, you know? Right, and and especially with my wife, and and you know some of the weddings we've gone to, and, sure. and stuff like that, where you know the the people you're there for know you, and so they get it. But like you know, you're you start mingling during cocktail hour with people and you know, you're sitting down at a dinner table with strangers and you know, they start asking or you're at a rehearsal dinner and everybody's like, Oh, you don't drink. No. And like, they look at you. Right. And you're like covered in tattoos and yeah. you look different. And uh, of course the first thing that they assume is like, Oh, you're sober. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, but I've never had a drink. Wait, you never had anything. I was like, no, they're like, well, when was the last, like the last time? And you're like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like never, like never, like, yeah, never. Like they can't grasp it at this age. They yeah. think it's cool. You know, younger when I was in high school and in my twenties, like people thought it was stupid. Yeah. Um, and then, God, one time I posted something on Facebook about, um, not like about like not drinking or something like that. And somebody asked me if I was a friend of Bill. Uh, somebody like commented back, "Are you a friend of Bill?" And I was like, um, "Bill who?" And like uh, everybody, uh, I had a, a few comments that were that were like that. Oh, uh, Bill so and so, or Bill this, or like, oh, how long have you how long have you been friends with Bill for? And then my dad calls me. He's like, he's like, hey, like a friend of Bill means you're like working the AA program because my my dad's been in uh, right. My dad's been in AA for gosh eight years now, sober. So, um, yeah, he kind of he kind of put that straight. So even putting something like out like that out there, and like I've got like fans of you know my band like telling me like oh like yeah. So how long have you been sober for? How long have you not been you know drinking for or doing drugs? Like they just didn't get it, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, this automatic assumption. Exactly. Like I mean, you even bring up like the fact that you're 
you know, tattoos and the way you dress and stuff, like, you know, you you look like you could be in, like, Motley Crue. <laughs> like, the ultimate fucking drug, you know, band. Um, yeah. And I guess people just look at that and they assume things about you, which which is, you know, I mean, sadly is the way that it works, especially in the music industry. Yeah, unfortunately, the world in general is working that way now, so... Yeah, well, I don't know. That's if what's wanna, even worse. I don't know if we want to talk about that right now, but uh, yeah, um, is it true that eighteen visions means like six plus six plus six, like six six yeah. six visions? Is that true? Totally. Somebody yeah. somebody told me that. Is just that just like when you were kids, you were like cool name or what is that? Yeah. So when we were doing our first demo, this is before we were called eighteen visions. Um, the 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 lyric went i don't even know what song it was in exactly <laughs> but the lyric went i depict 18 visions for its demise and so at the time like i was like super hateful towards god and i was like anti-christian and anti-religion and you know when you're 15 16 years old and you're into metal you're trying to write the most evil shit you can think of right <laughs> yeah and so when we were when we were going through band names, uh, we went through a few like really stupid names. Um, I think I don't I don't even remember who suggested Eighteen Visions, but it stuck, and that's what we went with. And it really holds like no weight or depth to like the band or any of its members. But it was something that was super cool back in nineteen ninety six. Absolutely. Well, then you continued down that path with your other project, Burn Halo. Yeah. Uh, also, a bit of a satanic vibe there, uh, with the name. Um, right. That that um, that project. Um, is it safe to say it just wasn't everything you hoped it would be? Totally, man. Yeah. So I, I got like a, I got this like really big record deal with Island Def Jam. Yeah. Immediately after 18 Vision split up, um, I had gone out and written a couple of songs with a songwriter in Tulsa, Oklahoma who's now in Nashville working on like uh, Carrie Underwood and a big, big, big stuff. Good like, for them. Nice. He's, yeah, he's a, he's a big, big songwriter now. Um, so uh, he was actually in a band called the Nixons, if anybody remembers. I remember the, the Nixons. Nixons. I remember them. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So um, I got this record deal and wrote this album with him and recorded it. And when we were mixing, my A&R guy got let go. And my A&R guy was responsible for finding Corn and Incubus and a couple of other bands back in the day. Um, so he's, you know, he's, he's been around the block and, you know, had a really, really solid career. They let him go. They wanted to get younger. And unfortunately, I was a casualty of, of his cut. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of roaming around trying to find a record deal. Manager ends up putting it out. Um you know, we get some great touring up front and then, you know, along come the empty promises. We got, you know, Roadrunner wanted to pick it up. We got Atlantic wanted to pick it up. All these other, all these like big labels wanted to pick up the album, which would have been huge for me. It would have been huge for the band. Um, nothing ever happened. So, you know, we went back at it, went to the studio, did another album um, on our own. We wrote by ourselves. Um, and, you know, right from the beginning, it just kind of fell apart. Manager fired our booking agent, who was a friend of mine, um, put us with another booking agent, had to fire a manager who was, you know, working with 18 Visions since like 2004. Right. Um, yeah, it was just, it was just shitty, man. Um, it was a shitty experience. And then I actually left the band in 2012 and um, I wasn't going to do it anymore. I was, I was like in a salon working full time, loving it. Like, you know, finally like making consistent, like stable money. Yeah. Uh, still be still able to be like creative and artistic and interact with people. Um, it was fun. I loved it. And then, you know, I had met my wife, um, shortly after and I just didn't want to do it anymore. And they came down from the band lives in Sacramento. They came down for NAM in 2013. Yeah. Sat, sat down with me and a manager that they had hired and, you know, asked me to like rejoin the band. And I pretty much told them like, Hey, um, I don't want to tour unless like I'm going to get paid a lot of money, which I know is not going to happen. So pretty <laughs> much not going to tour. So I can write the album for you and you can find somebody else to sing. And they, they didn't want that. They, you know, they wanted me, 
And so I said, well, the best I can give you is I'll write and record the album and I'll do what touring and what shows make sense for me financially. And they're like, okay, cool. So the album finally drops in 2015, I think. Yeah. Um, or 2016. Fuck. I don't even know anymore at this point. 2015, it finally drops. And, um, you know, it had been recorded for a year, went through some like label issues. And at this point, like, you know, now I'm starting to do really, really well in the salon. I'm working with an assistant. Um, you know, I'm fully booked, uh, making good money, super stable. Me and my wife are, you know, now, you know, almost four years into our relationship. Um, you know, freshly married and these guys, now they want to go on tour. So I agreed to do two weeks of a seven week tour and they had a fill in, um, shows I did were cool. The shows that the fill in did were not cool. Uh, promoters were pissed. Booking right. agent was pissed. Um, sounds like a mess. Yeah. It was, it, yeah. It just, it was, it wasn't going to work. And I knew yeah. that. And, um, you know, I just, I had to take a step back and just completely look at everything and, what was going on it's you know it's a tough it's a tough decision um walking away from music and touring and putting out and putting out albums you know um even though i was happy with where i was at in the salon you know music's been a part of my life since i was like 15 years old i've been i've been making music and and playing you know in in a garage or in you know at at the high point arenas and huge festivals sure you know, and I'm just going to walk away from all that forever, probably since I'm, you know, in, in my mid thirties at, at the time. And, yeah. you know, it was, it was a really, really, really tough decision for me, but, you know, I sat down, called the guys and said, Hey, like, you know, I feel like you guys need to do this without me or, you know, you should just break the band up. Like I, I can't do it anymore. It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, it was, um, it was a, it was a hard decision. Um, but you know, once I finally like made the decision and kind of like, verbally said it and put it out there into the world and to these guys it just um everything from there like i felt this huge weight just like lifted off my shoulders like i didn't have to to worry about this band and what our fans would think and like what promoters would think and what booking agents would think and you know i'm not like a half-assed type of dude so i didn't have to like feel that like i was only giving it like 25 percent you know um so it just it just felt better. But did that did that collapse of that band and everything? Did that lead you back to eighteen visions? Like, did you get a little taste of like, hey, like, couldn't wouldn't it be nice if I could just go out and have some fun and play some music? Like, no, I, you know what a, I mean? Yeah, not at all. Um, it's just it's crazy, man. Um, how this all came about. So I'm 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 driving to work uh, one morning. I think it was in like September. And I get a text message from Keith and he's asking me if I ever picked up the recording gear that I said I was going to pick up like three years ago. <laughs> um, so in 2010, we all sat down in a room and discussed working on a new album. And at the time, Ken's, Ken's schedule was a lot less crazy than it is now. Right. Um, and Keith and I had, had written and demoed a song which ended up being on, on this album, the, the second track, the disease, the decline and waste of time. Yeah. Um, and we couldn't get Ken to like submit any music to us. Um, he was touring. We're hoping that he was going to write while he's on the road or when he would come home, but you know, just, he just wasn't into it or couldn't find the time. And, you know, I think, you know, we were kind of bummed at first, but kind of okay with it. You know, we get it. We're all doing different things. And, we revisited the idea a couple years later, and I think, you know, Mick had, Mick had just passed away before that, and, you know, we talked about doing it without him, and then yeah. the same thing, like, um, you know, we couldn't get Ken to, you know, commit to doing anything or, or submitting any music, so that, that was it right there. That was, that was, that was the final, uh, final opportunity, I felt like, and, and people would ask me, you know, all the time when I would tour with my other band or just, you know, via the internet or social media or just friends asking like, Hey, what's up with 18 visions? Like, Oh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And it's funny. I went to, um, I went to go see Dillinger escape plan at the, uh, the side room at the observatory, like 200 cap room. And like the first thing Greg says, like, yo, when's the inevitable 18 B reunion? And I was just like, dude, it's not happening. Like, you know, and literally the next week, like I get 
uh, or it might have even been that week, um, I get a text message from Keith about the gear. And so I was like, no, I'll go get some today. What are we working on? And, you know, deep down in the bottom of my heart, I was hoping he would say, like, let's do 18B. But he said, hey, you know, I you know worked really hard on those songs I wrote a few years ago. Um, you know, I'd love to finish them and just, like, maybe we can put them out, um, do something with them. Either way, I'd like to finish them. I was like, all right, cool. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm having my second child or I just had, yeah, I think he was having his second child like in a week or something like that. I was like, dude, you're crazy. Like, how are you going to work on this? Like with two kids? He's like, oh, I kind of have it all figured out now. Like being a dad and my time, and my <laughs> schedule and like what it looks like. I was like, all right, dude. So, um, you know, I go down to guitar center and grab some like cheap recording gear, set up my laptop and start going at it. And like it, you know, it feels good. Um, I think we did like two or three songs and, you know, I, you know, sent them to him and, st- you know, asked him like, Hey, like, what do you want this to be? He's like, Oh, I'm not sure yet. I was like, well, um, you know, do you want to hit up Ken and, and, and Trevor? And he's like, yeah, well, yeah, let's see what they have to say. Cool. And so, you know, Trevor was in and unfortunately Ken was not. So I went into it. I think Keith went into it. I think the only one that didn't go into it with the idea that it wasn't going to be 18 visions was Trevor. I think Trevor thought it was going to be 18 visions like right away. Right. Just without, (laughs) without Ken and me and Keith battled with that. Ken's been in the band from day one. Um, he was a major song contributor from, you know, until the ink runs out until, you know, the last, the self-titled album, he was always contributing on a major level musically, uh, writing, so you know just it felt weird and we started uh we started recording the songs with our buddy mick and as these songs started coming out um they felt a lot like 18 visions and so i had the conversation with keith one night like hey dude like you want to play shows right and he's like yeah i'd love to play you know a few shows or play whatever um i was like all right I was like, well, it would feel kind of weird if the three of us being in 18 Visions didn't play 18 Visions songs. And he was like, dude, I would totally want to play 18B songs. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, do you think it's kind of weird that the three of us are, you know, playing 18B songs and the the new music sounds like, you know, it it sounds just like 18B? He's like, yeah. And I was like, all right, dude. Like, who are we? Who are we trying to fool now? You know what I mean? Like, we're not fooling anybody. People be bummed if we go and like play shows and put out music, and it's not under eighteen visions. But we're gonna play eighteen B songs, and it sounds just like eighteen B. Like, like let's just let's just do it. You let's know? cut like, the crap, right? Totally, man. And he was just like, oh, okay, dude. I just I didn't know how to go about having this conversation. It was just like the big elephant in the room. Nobody right. wanted to talk about. It. Nobody wanted to address it. Crazy. Everybody was afraid of what the next person was going to say. You know, like, it, like are they going to shoot it down? I kind of want this. Like, I kind of feel like this is how it should be. But you know, if if Keith doesn't want it, or Keith's probably thinking if James doesn't want it, like you know, like I don't want to sound like an idiot, or like I don't want to sound like selfish, or wow. You yeah. know, because it just, it didn't start that way. It just started from like, Hey, let's write some music and like put it out, like maybe by ourselves or on an indie label. And, you know, maybe we'll play a show or two under some weird band name, you know? Well, this is kind of the best of both worlds then, right? I mean, you get to be creative, you get to do some new stuff and then you also get to, you know, make your old fans happy and, and, you know, and, and play some of your favorite songs from back in the day. I think it's awesome. Yeah, it's great, man. I mean, if, uh, if it could only have always been this way, you know what I mean? Right. Um, it's just, yeah, especially at our age, man, like touring, it just, it's tough, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's not easy, especially when you, especially when you bring like families into it and like, you know, my wife is not from this world. Like, you know, I played her some ATV v stuff. Like when we first started dating, it was like, what the fuck is this? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, she just like had no idea. Um, and like, you know, now she's, now she's seen the band play. Um, and like the crowd response was insane. The show sold out. Now nice. she's seen the band play. Now she gets it. You know what I mean? But it wasn't, it wasn't really until then that she was just like, Oh, what the fuck? Like, what is this? Like she kind of got the burn halo stuff, even though like the album that I put out when we were together, it had like a lot of screaming and was like a lot more metal than the first two that we had done. Yeah. Um, you know, she was kind of like, okay, I kind of get this a little bit, but like, you know, this new 18 V album, it's like mostly screaming and like 
not as much singing. And so she's just like, uh, I don't know. And, yeah, she well, saw it, she, she gets it. So. She likes <laughs> she likes James for the you know the Chicago sports loving, uh, non drinking, lovable dude that's that's yeah. doing hair. There you go. You know, not the not the crazy screaming guy. So that's a good feeling, right? Yeah. No, she loves me because I'm in here on my day off helping her set up her classroom that she teaches. Oh, is she a teacher? So, yeah, yeah. She teaches uh, first, second, third grade special ed. Oh my goodness! Wow, that's good, yeah, good for her. So. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, James, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I do appreciate it. Uh, anything else to talk about? Anything else to add? Dude, are you uh, uh, like so? This has like become my passion now. Um, are Are you a Game of Thrones fan? You know what? I'm I'm still on season three. Oh, shit. I have okay. some I have some big time catching up to do, and I heard the last episode yeah. like just last night, right? Yeah, last people night. are like flipping out about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, there's a lot. Of, you have a lot of episodes to flip out over. Trust me. So yeah. Um, so you're a yeah, big, no, you're a big, big Game of Thrones guy. Yeah, huge. Read the books. Uh, watch the show probably four times through now. Oh fuck! Damn. Yeah. Well, I look at it as like a good like movie series, like like Star Wars, right? Like right. I mean, or like Lord of the Rings. If you're into that stuff, the trilogies. Like, how many times do you watch those movies? Right. I've like, seen Lord of the Rings a lot of times. Right. And, and so, so, so have I, and, and read the I, books. I was never, and I was never afraid to like watch them back to back to back, like, like 10 times in my life. Right. So what's the difference between that and a television show? That's fucking great. Okay. There's a lot more commitment. That's really the only thing. So <laughs> right, right. I just, I just go for it. I set, I set aside the time at night and I just, I, I just do it. So there you go. I love it. Makes me happy. Yeah. That's right. It's whatever makes you happy in this world. That's what people need right. to uh, need to subscribe to, you know? Totally. And this podcast. Subscribe to this podcast also. Absolutely. <laughs> Dude, hey, thanks, man. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, I look forward, hopefully, to be seeing you guys back. I know you've got a few things coming up. I'm sure more is about to get added. So yeah. um, I'll just encourage people to check out the website and, and the shows and... and uh, Hopefully everyone can see you, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, 18V back. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, James. So there it is with James. You know, it's really funny when he asked me about Game of Thrones, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, I know. It's like getting crazy, and I'm only on season three. Well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm in Australia, and it takes a very, very long time to get here. So I downloaded some episodes of Game of Thrones, I knocked through the third season in, <laughs> well, one flight, and then on a long drive, I knocked out the fourth season, so I'm just about to start season five, and it's like all I can think about, like I'm having dreams about it, and not just Daenerys, come on, but whew, she's a babe, but no, 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 not just Miss Stormborn, I am having dreams about like knights getting their heads cut off, and hands cut off, and all this crazy shit, I am all in on Game of Thrones, so here I am. Just another, I'm sure some of you are rolling your eyes, but I fully get it. The show is pretty amazing. Anyways, thank you so much to James for doing this. Here is a brand new 18 Vision song, Live Again, on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love, and we'll see you next week. Carry on Violation of love for sin
taken The teeth are starting to grind The ground is shaking Your grave awaken Day.